In a world where time meandered through epochs and realms as easily as rivers through valleys, the necromancer had long been a singular, feared constant. A master of forbidden alchemy and dark arts, the necromancer existed as the indelible ink on the parchment of legend, whispered about in the hushed voices of dread and awe that echoed through the corridors of history. Not just a mere mortal dabbling in the occult, but a transcendent entity wielding powers that could bend the very fabric of reality. For centuries, villages had been ravaged, civilizations toppled, and empires brought to their knees. All were sacrifices to the altar of the necromancer's insatiable thirst for dominion and the unfathomable arts that few could even comprehend. But the necromancer was not alone. The undead, soulless beings raised from the eternal abyss of non-existence, served as the fearsome army that heralded the coming of their dark lord. Skeletons wielding rusted swords, shambling corpses with hollow eyes, spectral wraiths that could chill the marrow, each one an abomination against nature, bound by powerful incantations to an eternal servitude. They were the necromancer's eternal companions, agents of chaos, and executors of a world that sought to subjugate both the world of the living and the realms beyond. Yet, with the countless suns that had risen and set over the eons, something within the necromancer had started to wane. Not the dark powers, which seemed as inexhaustible as ever, nor the will to dominate, which had been the core of the necromancer's very existence. It was something far more elusive, more intangible, a nagging sense of emptiness, a soul-deep weariness that no amount of dark magic could dispel. What do you achieve when you have conquered worlds, sundered realities, and subdued the forces of both heaven and hell? What remains when the screams of vanquished enemies no longer provide the infernal satisfaction they once did? It was within this crucible of existential questioning that the necromancer arrived at a momentous decision, one that could very well alter the course of destiny itself. Redemption, a word that had never entered the vocabulary of this dark entity suddenly became an obsession. Could the bindings of eternal servitude be undone? Could the undead be returned to their restful slumber, freed from the malevolent will that animated their corrupted forms? Could a being so deeply entrenched in the arts of destruction and manipulation ever find a path back to the light? So the necromancer stood, now at the precipice of a perilous journey, facing a crossroads where each path was laced with risks and enigma. On one hand lay the arduous task of reversing incantations so ancient, so potent, that their undoing could very well tear apart the tapestry of existence. On the other hand were the watchful eyes of celestial and infernal forces, each with their own vested interests in the necromancer's quest for redemption. Heaven would seek to eliminate the threat once and for all, to unmake the abomination. Hell would fight to preserve a valuable asset, a catalyst for eternal strife and discord. As the necromancer readied to set forth on this journey, questions reverberated in the vaults of that enigmatic mind. Was redemption a mere illusion for a being so deeply scarred by the passage of uncountable years? Or did the cosmic scales still hold a delicate balance, where even the darkest soul could tip the weights towards absolution? The necromancer had made a choice. A path had been chosen. And as the skies roiled with omens and the earth quivered in apprehensive anticipation, one thing became abundantly clear. Whether bound for salvation or doomed to a more complex damnation, 
the necromancer's next moves would forge a new chapter in a tale that had spanned the annals of time. And so, with a world watching, both seen and unseen, the necromancer began to chant, each syllable a ripple through the pools of destiny, each incantation a challenge to the very cosmos. The quest for redemption, rife with trials unimaginable, had begun. Beneath the ephemeral glow of a blood moon, the necromancer journeyed to a locale steeped in the energies of the arcane and the enigmatic, a sprawling complex of labyrinthine canyons carved by neither wind nor water, but by the volatile fluctuations of magic itself. This was the terminus of echoing sorrows, a forsaken ground where no human foot had ever trod. An area so drenched in mystical energies that the very air seemed to pulse, as if in rhythm with the heartbeat of the universe. Here, surrounded by towering cliffs that held fossilized memories of Eon's past, the necromancer would enact the twilight incantation, a spell so powerful, so fraught with complexities, that even uttering its syllables would test the limits of the dark sorcerer's considerable powers. As the necromancer laid out the ritual components with meticulous care, elixirs that swirled with iridescent hues, runes scribed in languages forgotten by time, and the soul sphere, a crystalline orb containing a swirling vortex of captured spirits, the night air became thick with tension, as if reality itself was holding its breath. Each object was a link in an unimaginable chain of magic, its origins tracing back to realms no longer inscribed on any map or text. The initiation of the twilight incantation was a ballet of intricate movements and eldritch words. The necromancer's fingers danced through the air, tracing patterns that existed only in the most arcane of grimoires, while syllables fell like droplets of quicksilver, each one laden with portentous weight. In response, the elements of the universe began to shift. A sudden gust of wind howled through the canyons, as if carrying cries from beyond the veil. The ground quaked gently, like a restless sleeper turning in slumber. The very stars themselves seemed to flicker in the firmament, as if in a celestial morse code that spelled impending doom or salvation, perhaps both. This was no mere conjuring, no simple invocation. The necromancer was pulling at the very threads that knitted the fabric of reality, seeking to unravel the intricate tapestry of spells that bound the undead army. To an onlooker, it might appear as though the sorcerer was teetering on the precipice of sanity, grappling with forces that threatened to tear asunder both mind and soul. But the necromancer had become an entity beyond such mortal frailties. Each wave of the hand unraveled another binding, each uttered word dissolved another shackle. All the while, the undead army, stationed miles away yet connected to their master through the dark tendrils of sorcery, began to exhibit signs of impending dissolution. They shuddered, their hollow eyes flickering like dying lanterns, sensing that the tethers binding them to this existence were eroding away. It was a feeling unknown to these beings, fear. They had been puppets dangling on strings of dark magic, devoid of will or emotion, yet now, in what could be their final moments, an alien sensation coursed through the necrotic veins. Drawing energy from the soil beneath, which seemed to writhe in both agony and ecstasy, the necromancer intensified the ritual. The cliff faces of the canyons seemed to moan, bearing witness to an act that was both an abomination and a sanctification. The twilight incantation was nearing its completion, its volatile energies building up like a storm waiting to break. 
And then it happened. A piercing scream reverberated through both sky and earth as the last syllable of the incantation was spoken. For a moment, it seemed as if time itself had stopped, like the world had inhaled deeply, pausing in a state of suspended animation. The necromancer felt it, the first thread snap, like a spider's web breaking in a gale. A wave of energy, so overwhelming it defied description, cascaded through the very core of the sorcerer's being. Part pain, part ecstasy, it signaled the beginning of the end, or perhaps a new beginning. As the blood moon reached its zenith, bathing the terminus of echoing sorrows in a ruddy light that seemed to pulse in time with the incantation, the necromancer knew that the point of no return had been crossed. The twilight incantation had been successfully invoked, setting the stage for a confrontation that would decide the fate of realms. Yet, even as the momentary sense of accomplishment washed over the dark figure, there was no ignoring the gravity of what had been set into motion. From the heavens above to the infernal depths below, forces were stirring, forces that would soon converge upon this focal point of cosmic disruption. In the distance, as if echoing the thoughts of the necromancer, a thunderous crack resounded, the first drumbeat in a symphony of coming war. And as the energies of the twilight incantation disseminated into the night, entwining with the threads of fate and destiny, the necromancer braced for the trials that lay ahead. Because in seeking redemption, the sorcerer had beckoned both salvation and damnation to come calling. And call they would. In the aftermath of the twilight incantation, the skies grew restless. Clouds clashed and contorted as if sculpted by unseen hands, crafting an aerial tapestry that heralded a celestial arrival. This was no ordinary tempest. It was a manifestation of divine energies seeping into the fabric of the world, creating ripples in the metaphysical currents that swirled above. Soon enough, a brilliant streak of otherworldly light cascaded down from the heavens, setting the night sky ablaze with luminous grandeur. The seraphim, divine beings sworn to uphold the cosmic order, had descended. Their arrival was an orchestrated spectacle of awe and majesty. Each seraphim was an entity composed of swirling energies and ephemeral matter, with wings that shimmered in iridescent hues, reflecting all the colors that human eyes could perceive, and many that they could not. As they touched down, their presence seemed to cleanse the air itself, vaporizing impurities and imbuing the atmosphere with a rarefied quality that tingled on the skin. They were the universe's ultimate arbiters, entities that existed to balance the scales and maintain the flow of cosmic justice. And they had come for the necromancer, as the seraphim moved, their formless shapes morphing and fluctuating with an ethereal grace, they set about constructing a celestial sigil, a complicated, multi-dimensional glyph that hovered in the air, exuding waves of divine energy. This was no mere symbol. It was an equation, a complex calculus that factored in the sins and merits accrued over countless lifetimes, designed to ascertain the worthiness of a soul. Their intent was clear. To evaluate the necromancer's quest for redemption, to determine whether such a feat was even possible for a being steeped in centuries of dark arts and malevolent pursuits. With the sigil complete, the seraphim channeled their energies into a ritual of revelation, linking their collective will to the cosmic construct they had crafted. As they did, the celestial sigil began to resonate with the necromancer's very essence, 
delving into the sorcerer's soul to unearth the truth hidden within. It was a disorienting experience, akin to being shattered into a million shards and then reassembled in a matter of moments. The necromancer felt as though the innermost layers of existence were being peeled back, exposing the raw, unfiltered truth that lay at the core. As this scrutiny unfolded, the necromancer sensed the tug of war taking place in the celestial realm. The divine energies of the seraphim clashed with the infernal forces that had sustained the sorcerer's dark magic for so long. It was a battle on multiple fronts, spiritual, ethical, existential. The cosmic scales trembled as they were loaded with the weight of divine judgment. Suddenly, the celestial sigil flashed, emitting a blinding burst of light before dissipating into countless motes of sparkling luminescence. The Seraphim's ritual had reached its conclusion, and a verdict had been rendered. But instead of annihilation or vindication, the necromancer felt an unsettling stillness, as if the universe had opted for a disquieting pause rather than a definitive endnote. Before the necromancer could fully comprehend the implications, the Seraphim began to dissolve, their iridescent forms dissipating like morning mist under a rising sun. Yet, as they vanished, they left behind a single feather, a celestial plume that radiated an aura of both tranquility and subdued power. It was a parting gift or perhaps a warning, a token that signified the Seraphim's ongoing vigilance and left the door ajar for possibilities as yet undefined. And so, standing amidst the dissipating energies of divine judgment, clutching a feather that seemed to hum softly with the melody of the cosmos, the necromancer felt a mix of trepidation and hope. The Seraphim had neither condemned nor absolved, instead, they had provided the space for a journey to unfold. The path toward redemption remained open, but so did the Pandora's box of consequences that could spiral from the necromancer's monumental choices. Thus, with an otherworldly feather as the newest addition to a collection of arcane artifacts, the necromancer prepared to press on. Unbeknownst to the sorcerer, the celestial plume pulsed intermittently, its rhythm synced to a distant cosmic metronome. It was as if the seraphim, even in their absence, continued to bear witness to a tale that defied divine and demonic expectations alike, a tale whose next chapter beckoned from the Stygian depths, where infernal fires awaited their turn to challenge the necromancer's quest. And challenge they would. In the realm that lay opposite to the heavens, where the principles of virtue and valor were reduced to cruel jokes, anticipation grew like a virulent weed. The underworld, a labyrinthine maze of infernal landscapes governed by entities devoid of compassion or restraint, pulsed with a malevolent hunger. The denizens of this realm had felt the incursion of divine energies into the material world. Now, they sensed the ripples of the twilight incantation weakening their influence over the undead and rattling the chains that bound many souls to eternal torment. In a place where power was the only currency, the necromancer had just devalued the market. A torrent of dark energies gushed from the bowels of the inferno, a swirling vortex that soared towards the surface world like a malevolent storm. This tempest was directed by an assembly of demonic overlords, each a nightmare given form, their visages sculpted from eternal anguish and wrath. They were the antithesis of the Seraphim. Where the celestial beings were harmony and light, these demons were chaos and shadow. 
and they had a vested interest in the necromancer's soul. A prize that promised an immense concentration of dark powers accrued from centuries of nefarious acts. As the hellish energies broke through the terrestrial barriers, the ground around the necromancer trembled. Soil turned to molten sludge, rocks warped and mutated, taking on grotesque shapes, and the sky above darkened as though smeared with ink. What followed was not merely an incursion but a full-blown materialization, a manifestation of infernal intent as the demonic overlords themselves tore through the veil separating their realm from the material plane. Their forms were an affront to all laws of nature and physics, chimeric entities with leathery wings and cloven hooves, serpentine bodies armored in scales harder than diamonds, and countenances so horrifying they could flay the sanity from any mortal who gazed upon them. This was an army of darkness, each demon a general of malevolence, ready to claim their prize. Surrounded by these monstrous apparitions, the necromancer felt a palpable pressure, as though the air itself had thickened into a suffocating shroud. The demons initiated their own ritual, an antithetical answer to the celestial sigil crafted by the seraphim. In a perverse parody of divine judgment, the demons forged a rune sphere, a dark globe of ever-changing, labyrinthine symbols that pulsed with eldritch fire. This rune sphere would serve as an infernal crucible, designed to test the necromancer's commitment to redemption by offering an alternative, a return to unimaginable power, coupled with eternal servitude in the abyss. As the demonic overlords channeled their malevolent will into the rune sphere, the necromancer felt the strength of their proposition, a tug toward darkness that was both alluring and terrifying. The orb presented a montage of possibilities, an unending reign over legions of undead, mastery over spells that could unmake worlds, and the promise of godhood, albeit one bound to eternal damnation. But amidst this nightmarish tableau, the necromancer clutched the celestial feather tightly. It glowed brighter now, emitting a steady pulse of light that seemed to echo in tune with the rhythm of the universe. With the celestial plume as a focus, the necromancer resisted the gravitational pull of the rune sphere's dark allure. Suddenly, the infernal orb shattered like glass, its fragments dissipating into smoky tendrils that were sucked back into the demonic forms. A guttural roar echoed from the mouths of the overlords, an angry cacophony that rumbled across dimensions. Their corporeal forms, now unstable without the binding power of the rune sphere, began to unravel, dissipating into acrid plumes of smoke and sulfur. Standing amidst the dissipating energies of infernal defeat, the necromancer realized that the path of redemption had now been challenged by both celestial and demonic forces. The seraphim had offered space for transformation, the demons had tempted with the allure of eternal power, and yet the journey was far from over. What lay ahead was a crossroads, a nexus of cosmic factors that defied even divine and infernal comprehension. The celestial feather and the remnants of the shattered rune sphere, now disintegrated into a fine, dark ash, were stark reminders of the dual nature of this quest for redemption, a pursuit that might yet unveil destinies more extraordinary and unnerving than the necromancer could have ever imagined. In an ancient chamber hidden deep within a mountain range, Surrounded by natural fortresses of towering cliffs and treacherous ravines, the necromancer prepared for the most perilous stage of the quest yet, the crafting of the soul crucible. 
It was a mythical artifact, an arcane device rumored to have the ability to purify even the darkest of souls. The law surrounding the soul crucible spoke of a process by which a being could undergo a spiritual catharsis, stripping away the sediment of malice, hatred, and malevolence that had accrued over time, leaving behind the core essence, a soul reborn. The necromancer had discovered references to the crucible in ancient manuscripts, in cryptic stanzas etched onto tomb walls, and in the fragmented memories of spirits long tormented in the nether realms. The mechanics of its creation were as intricate as they were dangerous. The vessel required a perfect balance of divine and infernal energies, a harmonization of opposites so extreme that the slightest miscalculation could result in cataclysm. At the center of the hidden chamber, an altar had been erected, a flat table made of an amalgam of consecrated and desecrated materials, from hallowed marble to cursed obsidian. On this altar, the necromancer arranged the celestial feather alongside the dark ash remnants of the shattered rune sphere. Between these two objects, a space had been cleared for the crucible's central core, a rare gemstone known as Soulfire Opal, a crystal infused with both spectral luminescence and shadowy depths. As the necromancer began the incantation, the air in the chamber grew thick with tension. Streams of energy emanated from the feather and the ash, spiraling around the soulfire opal in increasingly complex patterns. The necromancer had to maintain complete control, guiding these contrary forces into a spiraling dance of perfect symmetry, manipulating the laws of metaphysics to keep the divine and demonic in a state of precarious balance. The soulfire opal began to change, its internal structure resonating with the swirling energies. It started to emit a harmonic frequency, a sound that was felt more than it was heard, a subsonic rumble that vibrated on an emotional level, plucking the strings of the soul. The celestial feather and the dark ash were slowly absorbed into the opal, their essences merging in a dazzling spectacle of light and darkness, order and chaos. Then, for an instant that felt like an eternity, everything converged. The soulfire opal emitted a pulse of energy so intense that it seemed to momentarily tear the fabric of reality. A shockwave rippled through the chamber, dislodging ancient stalactites from the ceiling and making the very mountains tremble. In that flash of incomprehensible power, the soul crucible was born. The necromancer, drained but elated, beheld the artifact now lying on the altar. It was a masterwork of metaphysical engineering, a crystal orb that pulsed with shifting hues of light and shadow, promising both salvation and ruin. This was the fulcrum upon which the fate of countless souls would tip, a pivot that could usher in an era of redemption or plunge the world into untold darkness. As the necromancer reached out to claim the soul crucible, a sudden realization washed over. The celestial feather and the dark ash had been fully consumed in the crucible's creation. Now, their celestial and infernal overseers would have no markers to gauge or influence the necromancer's progress. This quest was now, more than ever, a solitary endeavor, steered only by the enigmatic desires of a being that had defied both heaven and hell. But more ominously, the soul crucible seemed to pulse in response to the necromancer's touch, as if acknowledging a resonance between its newly forged nature and the conflicted soul of its creator. This resonance was a mirror, a reflection of the potential for both sanctity and sin. 
The journey towards redemption had reached a pivotal moment, but it was a path fraught with hazards both metaphysical and moral. And yet, the crucible was now part of this equation, a mysterious variable whose influence was as yet unknown, a catalyst that could accelerate the necromancer toward an unforeseeable destiny. Deep in the labyrinthine caverns beneath an ageless forest, where roots twisted around forgotten altars and moonlight seldom ventured, existed the hidden sanctuary of the elders. These beings were neither of heaven nor hell but something more primordial, keepers of cosmic balance and guardians of esoteric truths that neither angels nor demons dared confront. The sanctuary was a pulsating heart of primeval energy, a haven where the fabric of reality thinned and worlds intermingled. It was here that the necromancer now stood, bearing the soul crucible with a mixture of anticipation and apprehension. As the steps echoed through the cavern, the air was tinged with an electric charge, a palpable sense that a trial of unprecedented magnitude was about to commence. The elders materialized from the very elements of the sanctuary, shapes coalescing from shadows, emanating from the shimmering pools of water, rising in the form of swirling winds, and solidifying from molten earth. Their forms were ever-changing, a ceaseless flux between creature and concept, a kaleidoscope of existential complexity. These were the scrutinizers of motive, the judges of authenticity, and the gaze pierced through the shrouds of illusion to the very marrow of one's soul. The necromancer presented the soul crucible before them, an unspoken question hanging in the air, almost electric in its intensity. The elders hovered around the crucible, their forms momentarily stabilizing into a variety of mythic archetypes, a many-eyed oracle, a titanic behemoth, a serpentine dragon, and a creature of pure light and sound, each examining the orb from the unique paradigm. As if responding to an unspoken signal, the elders initiated the trial. The air grew dense with symbols and equations that defied human comprehension, an arcane calculus that described the trajectory of souls and the algebra of redemption. A spectral arena materialized around the necromancer, an ethereal colosseum where the boundaries between physical and metaphysical blurred. From the crucible, phantasmal forms began to emerge. They were the spirits of the necromancer's past, each one a specter of a malevolent act or a cruel incantation. There were revenants wreathed in chains, spirits bearing the scars of dark spells, and ghosts carrying the eternal wounds of forbidden rites. One by one, the necromancer was called to face these transgressions, to confront the dark tapestry of a life spent in necromancy. However, instead of weapons or incantations, the necromancer wielded the soul crucible. Each spectre that lunged was absorbed into the orb, but not before undergoing a transformation, screams of anguish turning into sighs of release, contorted visages smoothing into peaceful repose. It was a sight both awe-inspiring and humbling, as the necromancer effectively undid the tapestry of pain and suffering that had been woven over centuries. As the last wisp of malevolent energy was absorbed into the crucible, the spectral arena dissolved, and the elders transformed back into their primordial states. A hush fell over the sanctuary, a pregnant pause as if the universe itself held its breath. Then, the elders radiated an iridescent pulse of energy, a silent yet unequivocal affirmation. The trial was passed. Retrieving the soul crucible, 
now brimming with an even more complex swirl of light and shadow, the necromancer felt the weight of an irrevocable choice. The trial had demonstrated the crucible's capability to purify souls on a vast scale, but it had also revealed its darker potential, to absorb and nullify, to render null the very fabric of being itself. As the necromancer exited the sanctuary, the path ahead seemed tinged with a new form of uncertainty, a complex tapestry of ethical and existential dilemmas. Yet, the trial had unveiled a new dimension of understanding, a cosmic jurisprudence that operated on scales both grand and intimate. The elders had neither condoned nor condemned, they had simply judged and found the quest authentic. Where this newfound affirmation would lead was uncertain, but for the first time, the necromancer felt the stirrings of something long forgotten, a sense of purpose unhinged from any celestial or infernal mandate. In an arid wasteland, under a sky perpetually churning with tempestuous clouds, the necromancer stood at the edge of a massive, swirling vortex. It was a hellgate, one of several infernal portals that peppered the lands, acting as conduits between the mortal realm and the abyss. Over the course of a haunting night and an uneasy dawn, the necromancer had woven an intricate web of spells to contain the Hellgate's chaotic energies, seeking to create a momentary bridge to the infernal realms that did not compromise the fabric of the mortal world. Standing at the brink of the swirling abyss, holding the soul crucible like a lantern in the gathering dark, the necromancer began an incantation of extraordinary complexity. The spell was an amalgam of forbidden dialects, older than the bones of the earth, spoken in an undertone that clawed at the ears like nails on a chalkboard. Each syllable resonated with the Hellgate's energy, creating harmonics that destabilized the borders between the realms. In response, the sky darkened as if smudged by an unseen hand, and a grotesque menagerie of demonic entities began to manifest around the Hellgate. There were imps with flesh like molten metal, horned monstrosities that defied geometry, and abominable hybrids of man and beast. Each creature snarled and shrieked as they were pulled from the abyss, clawing at the ground in an attempt to resist the necromancer's spell. But their resistance was futile. The soul crucible, pulsing with the energy absorbed from the trial of the elders, emanated an aura that petrified even these abominations. Like a vortex in reverse, the crucible started to draw in the myriad infernal entities, each disintegrating into tendrils of darkness before being absorbed into the orb. Not just the souls, but the very essence of malevolence and torment was being refined, processed into a state of primal energy. As the last of the demonic entities was absorbed into the crucible, the Hellgate shuddered as if in agony and then imploded with a gut-wrenching howl, its dissonant frequencies silenced, its chaotic energies neutralized. What remained was a stretch of barren land, as if the Hellgate had never existed, and a sky gradually clearing of its tempestuous rage. This was a significant turning point in the necromancer's quest. Until now, the focus had been on undoing the sins of the past, on eradicating the traces of necromancy and malevolent spells cast over centuries. But this act, this nullification of a Hellgate, was an act of redemption that affected not just the past but also the future. It was an act that prevented further evil, further decay, further ruination of countless souls who would have otherwise been doomed. Yet, in that moment of triumph, 
an unsettling thought gripped the necromancer. The soul crucible had absorbed demonic energies on an unprecedented scale. As it pulsated with newfound power, it also throbbed with a malevolent potential that had not existed before. The necromancer was acutely aware that each step on this path of redemption was also a step deeper into unparalleled risk. The crucible was becoming more than just a vessel for souls. It was morphing into an artifact of cosmic import, a fulcrum that could tilt the balance not just of one soul but of the entire multiverse. The necromancer stood there for a moment, the winds of the wasteland whistling through the hollows of time and space, as if whispering secrets best left unheard. Holding the now ominously pulsating soul crucible, the necromancer turned away from the void left by the Hellgate and ventured back into the world, fully aware that the most perilous stages of this quest were yet to come, and that the shadows gathering on the horizon were not just physical but metaphysical, not just external but internal, portents of a cosmic struggle for the soul of existence itself. The necromancer arrived at the site of a celestial nexus, a confluence of ley lines converging in a hidden valley surrounded by monoliths that jutted out of the earth like giant fangs. Legend spoke of it as a meeting point between the earthly and the divine, a place where deities once whispered secrets into the ears of oracles and seers. It was here, in this sanctified arena, that the necromancer intended to confront the denizens of heaven, to complete a circle of encounters that spanned both hellish and divine. Wasting no time, the necromancer meticulously arranged an array of arcane symbols on the ground, each corresponding to the constellations in the sky, each resonating with the divine frequencies that coursed through the nexus. Holding the soul crucible above the head, the incantations began. Like an ethereal melody, the spell sang through the air, reverberating through the cosmos, demanding an audience with beings of a higher order. As the final syllable of the incantation dissipated into the ether, the valley lit up as if ignited by a celestial fire. Resplendent beings descended from the sky, each trailing streams of golden light, their wings unfolding in cascades of iridescent feathers. Seraphim, the highest order of angels, had answered the call. They circled the necromancer, emanating an overwhelming aura of purity that clashed with the energies contained within the soul crucible. The atmosphere became thick with tension, the very air quivering as if on the verge of tearing apart. Each seraphim represented an aspect of divine virtue, compassion, wisdom, justice, and courage, and they examined the necromancer with a penetrating gaze that seemed to dissect the complexities of a soul teetering between redemption and damnation. Summoning every ounce of willpower, the necromancer activated the soul crucible, initiating a complex dance of cosmic energies. The orb floated above, its radiant light fluctuating between the dark hues of infernal realms and the dazzling spectrum of divine emanations. The seraphim, for all their majesty, hesitated. The crucible was now a mirror of the cosmic balance, a volatile blend of heavenly and demonic energies. Yet within this swirling vortex, there was a budding singularity, a point of convergence, a promise of something entirely new. It was as if the necromancer, through the journey so far, had distilled a third path, one that neither ascended to the heavens nor descended into the abyss but threaded through the needle's eye of cosmic equilibrium. Finally, the seraphim acted in unison. Each extended a wing towards the crucible, 
releasing a stream of divine energy that intertwined with the energies already contained within. The crucible absorbed it all, its core now shimmering with a brilliance that defied comprehension. Then, just as suddenly as they had appeared, the seraphim ascended, disappearing into a beam of light that shot up into the sky, leaving the nexus suffused with a lingering radiance. The necromancer, now clutching the transformed soul crucible, felt a momentous shift. The vessel had become more than a repository of souls or a tool of redemption. It was an artifact of synthesis, a nexus of its own that bore the potential to create a new cosmological order, or unmake the existing one. With this moment of realization, the urgency of the quest escalated. The soul crucible could no longer be wielded carelessly. Its unleashed power could be either an epochal revelation or a cataclysmic undoing. The stakes were higher than ever, transcending personal redemption and extending into the very structure of existence. Thus, the necromancer departed from the celestial nexus, eyes set on the final, most elusive destination, a sanctum hidden deep within the interstices of reality itself. There, it was said, lay the ultimate trial, a choice that would decide not only the fate of one lost soul but the very architecture of the cosmos. Armed with the soul crucible, carrying the weight of a destiny both luminous and shadowy, the necromancer walked into the folds of a reality trembling on the edge of a grand unveiling. The necromancer traversed through realms unknown to mortals, veering off the charted map of existence, into dimensional rifts and cosmic spirals that defied all natural laws. Each step in this abstract labyrinth drew upon the energy of the soul crucible, which now functioned as a compass, a key, and a shield all at once. It guided the way through a torrent of paradoxical vistas, forests of crystal, rivers of light, skies of liquid metal, each more bewildering than the last, but all leading to a singular point, the sanctum of choices. Arriving at last in an expansive void that seemed to pulse with the heartbeat of the universe itself, the necromancer faced an arcane altar that emerged from the darkness. Hovering above the altar was an indescribable geometry, a shape that seemed to be constantly folding and unfolding into itself, each movement accompanied by a resonant hum that echoed the hymns of celestial choirs and the wails of demonic legions. This was the Codex of Fates, the meta-textual tome that held the blueprints of every soul's destiny. Holding the soul crucible before the Codex, the necromancer began the final incantation. Words unspoken for eons filled the void, each syllable a cosmic reverberation that altered the fabric of the Codex. The altar responded by unraveling strands of ethereal threads, each thread a timeline, a potentiality, a choice. These strands entangled with the energies of the soul crucible, setting off a cascade of complex reactions. Two scenarios manifested, each crystallizing into a form that floated in the void like a mirage. One was a realm cleansed of all malevolence, where the undead were reanimated back into their mortal lives, free from the chains of necromantic enslavement. In this world, the necromancer's own soul was lifted into eternal serenity, absorbed by the heavenly realms, forever distanced from the torments of infernal damnation. The second vision was one of cosmic balance, a realm where neither the infernal nor the divine held dominion. The undead were not merely reversed to their mortal lives but elevated to a new state of existence, 
as spectral guardians of cosmic equilibrium. In this scenario, the necromancer's soul would join this new spectral order, forever committed to maintaining the balance between the realms, never to find rest in heaven or be tormented in hell. Yet, in that moment of dire choice, the soul crucible pulsated with an unprecedented surge of energy. For the first time, the artifact projected its own vision into the Codex of Fates, a third path. This vision was a realm devoid of predestination, where souls were liberated from the cycles of karma, fate, and cosmic roles. It was a realm of pure, unadulterated freedom. But this freedom came at a cost. The soul crucible would consume the necromancer's soul, scattering it across the multiverse, never to be unified again. The necromancer stood suspended in the metaphysical tumult, torn between three paths, eternal peace, eternal duty, or eternal dissolution. It was a choice that transcended personal redemption, a choice that would echo across the latter's work of existence, recalibrating the metaphysical equations that defined the multiverse. Finally, with a decisive gesture that bore the weight of countless lifetimes of experience, the necromancer channeled the energies of the soul crucible into the Codex of Fates. The void trembled as the Codex absorbed the influx, its geometry spinning faster and faster, before it imploded into a singularity, taking with it the visions, the altar, and the entire sanctum. All that remained was the necromancer, alone in the void, the soul crucible now dim, its energies expended. For better or worse, the choice was made. And in that ephemeral silence, just before the fabric of reality began to weave itself anew, the necromancer felt the strains of ancient sins dissipate, replaced by the gravitational pull of a destiny most dire yet potentially divine. And so, stepping into the folds of an uncharted multiverse, the necromancer vanished, leaving behind a reality forever changed but a soul, at last, unburdened.